Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here too. So it's a good old-fashioned bout of Stuff You Should Know, ready to kick you in the duff. Oh my gosh. <laughs> About? Were we a sickness? <laughs> yeah, some some would say. <laughs> oh, dear. Are you, I'm ready for this one. I'm so excited because awesome. I, I understand genetics right. and chemistry like I've never understood it before in my life. Well, I think that a little credit goes to our pal Grabster, who uh-huh. has a knack for explaining very complex science stuff. Uh, and we also need to shout out, as usual, when it comes to science, uh, a kid's website, which is, in this case, Frontiers for Young Minds. Mm-hmm. That was a really good one. Yeah, they had a pretty good breakdown on uh, albinism, not mm-hmm. albinism. Let's just get that out of the way. Yeah, and I also tried to find out it. it it doesn't seem appropriate to say albinos. Uh, right. I didn't expressly see that anywhere, but it just it seems like with the how we refer to things these days that 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 stands out as something that we shouldn't do. Certainly. Did Certainly. you find that though? I did not. I I didn't. Um, although there are all sorts of like um, uh, like pro social <clears throat> sites for people with albinism uh, all over the place. I, I'm surprised we didn't run into that, but because I saw it used. But I'm going to err on the side of caution and uh, just say albinism. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, or people with albinism, right? Well, sure. Or plants. Yeah, or, that's or an alligator. That, that, that's something that came up. Like, certainly you've, you're familiar that, you know, not all, it's not just people who can have albinism, but that um, animals can too. Like, every once in a while you hear about a very rare, like, um, uh, like a shark with albinism or, like you said, an alligator with albinism. It's just so um, stark and surprising. One of the reasons why is because it's exceedingly rare in the animal kingdom. Yeah. Um, but it's still around. And it's not just mammals that can have albinism too, although it would make a lot more sense if it was just mammals that got it because it affects a very specific part of the body the uh, melanocytes, which we'll talk about in great, great, great detail in a little <laughs> bit, um, but but that like uh, like a whole cascade of events goes from or it takes place within those melanocytes, and any part of that can get messed up or disordered, and those those are what are the basis of the different types of albinism, as we'll see. Yeah, and you know the reason that uh, you you indicated that it was super rare to see like a gorilla with albinism, mm-hmm. although you can see that is because, and we'll get into the genetics more specifically, but it's an uh, autosomal recessive trait, which means that both of your parents have to have this albinism gene. So, I mean, it's rare enough in humans when two people fall in love and mate for life and stuff like that, right. but when you're counting on two sharks that happen to swim by that happen to have that uh, express their genes that way. And they happen to, you know, get friendly with one another. Bump up against one another. (laughs) Sure. Rub fins. Sure. However sharks do that thing. Right. Uh, It makes it even more rare because you're counting on um, almost just like, you know, fate or destiny. Well, not destiny. Let's not get hippy dippy about it, but you know, it's a couple of gorillas getting together in the mist that both have this genetic gene. They wait for the mist to settle, and then they're like, no one can see us, baby. <laughs> I just said genetic gene, too. That shows what I know. 
So, yeah, for whatever reason, Chuck, whether it's like because the populations are isolated or what, but it, it does seem to be much rarer. Albinism does seem to be much rarer in like the wild than it is among humans. And even in like some human populations, it's like you could call it not rare at all. Like if you go to some parts of Africa, um, yeah. some parts of Central or South America, um, you'll find you'll find groups that like are fairly small, genetically speaking, um, and and the and albinism has just become kind of like an endemic trait among the population. Yeah, and I think that's even where the first uh, the word albino was first used in the 1800s mm-hmm. in Africa. Uh, for people that had albinism, and it's I think the root is the Latin albus or albo from Spanish, Spanish and Portuguese. That's right. So when we're talking about albinism, I think most people probably know what we're talking about. But um, usually, when you see a person with albinism, they have uh, either totally white hair or a very uh-huh. light colored hair. Um, usually, um, little to no skin pigmentation. Um, or they can have kind of like a yellowish or pinkish skin pigmentation. Um, they might have uh, eyes that uh, lack color uh, or seem red, which apparently has to do with the um, blood vessels in the eye um, reflecting the red light from, well, back out at you, the viewer. But all of this has to do with a, a complete and, and total or a greatly reduced lack of melanin, right? Yeah, and, you know, if we're going to crumble a myth, we can crumble the myth that um, you are not – like if you uh, have albinism and you don't have red eyes or pink eyes, mm-hmm. then you don't have true albinism, and that's not true at all. There are a lot of different kinds of albinism, and depending on the way the genes express themselves, there can be a range of uh, of effects on your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed was mentioned even with uh, in the plant kingdom with maize, you know, there is – uh, you can have, and it's not white corn. That's a different thing altogether. Right. But if you, because trust me, if you look up <laughs> albinism in corn, mm-hmm. the first thing you're going to see is a corn snake. Even oh, if yeah. you, <laughs> so you have to type in maize, right? And then you're just going to see white corn. But there are a few different kinds of albinism in maize. One of which basically is no pigment or chlorophyll, and that's not even going to survive because mm-hmm. it's a plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that uh, will eventually become just a regular ear of corn. And then a third type, which is really interesting, it's striped. And some parts have that pigment and some parts don't. Yeah, and like if you put two different types of albinism, whether it's corn or humans, together, the person who has both of those different traits probably won't appear to have albinism at all. Because you have to have matching uh, gene mutations to have an autosomal recessive um, uh, genetic disorder and albinism is one of those like you said yeah and interestingly if you just sort of look at it in a vacuum albinism isn't necessarily harmful uh there can be uh, comorbidities and there can be other effects that happen of course Mm -hmm. like with things like sun and sunburn and sun exposure and there's our vision problems that can happen and we'll get into all this more specifically but just by itself albinism isn't necessarily uh, harmful to a person or a population. Right. And there's different ki- types too. There's syndromic and non-syndromic. And syndromic means that you usually have <clears throat> other related health issues. And there are syndromic types of albinism. But one of the things that um, tends to um, 
tends to go along with albinism, along with a lack of skin and hair pigmentation, um, is vision problems, which we'll talk yeah. about. But there's other stuff too. There's they've correlated um, autism with albinism, which I couldn't find a lot on. Me neither. But it made me wonder. There's also a correlation between vision. Um, problems and autism and it's possible they theorize because no one knows at this point what the correlation is but they theorize that um it has to do with a low level of visual input leading to autism so it's possible that if you have a low level of visual input because of albinism that could lead to autism as well potentially right so much we don't know uh but we do know that it is albinism is a neural crest disorder mm-hmm. And this basically means, I mean, we can get as as wonky here science-wise as you want to, but the easy version is it means that it's very early in embryonic development uh, when a group of cells is folding into a crest. And at this point, if something is going on with those cells, it can affect a lot of different things moving forward, including albinism. Right. Um, because those neural crests, when they form the extremely early embryonic stage, they form... Um, cartilage, bone, skin, smooth muscle cells, neurons, they differentiate into a bunch of different stuff. But the point of that is is that like your the the gene that is responsible for whatever type of albinism you have um like differentiated like really early on long before many other genes were active. It also right. it also points out Chuck I think um something that's that's worth mentioning that at this point, because it's a genetic disorder and apparently an extraordinarily early in development genetic disorder, um, there's no treatment for albinism. Everything right. you're treating is just to take care of the the symptoms that come along with it. I think that's a good overview to get us going, don't you I think? I think so, too. Yeah, let's let's take a break. I, sus- I smell a break. Yeah, well, in fact, I could just be done, and we could just run a bunch of ads if you want to do it that way. I don't think everybody no? would like that. I think they'd <laughs> okay. rather hear us muddle through albinism. All right, we'll do a couple of uh, messages from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. So when most people think of albinism, Chuck, um, what they're actually thinking of is a specific type called oculocutaneous albinism, or OCA, which is the most prevalent form, but it's also the most distinct form as well. Yeah, and this is, you know, if you've ever seen the musician Johnny Winter or or Edgar Winter, or, uh, you know, a lot of times... Uh, people with albinism will be cast in movies uh, unfairly. A lot of times it's just the bad guy because they have a unique look. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's Hollywood and that's kind of what they do. They look but, different. They must be sinister. <laughs> exactly. And we'll get into that later on, too. But um, it's funny, though. I did see a couple of videos where people with albinism sat and watched movie characters of people with albinism yeah, and basically just sort of made fun of it. <laughs> they were just like, oh, okay, another bad guy. That's a surprise. Right, yeah. Uh, but this, exactly, that's what you're talking about. It That's OCA1 is when you're talking about maybe someone with the pink or red eyes, mm-hmm. uh, the lack of pigment in the skin, that white, white hair. Right. Um, and that one, so there's supposedly, there's somewhere between four and maybe even nine different forms 
But most scientists who study albinism recognize maybe four to five different forms. The rest of them are um, these really, really almost exotic, rare mutations that have occurred right. in these really isolated communities where albinism is actually common enough that it just is mutating into new forms. So most people say four to five forms. Um, and if you're like the easygoing type, you just call it type one, type two. If you're high strung like me, you'd probably call the most common one OCA1A. Mm-hmm. There's also OCA1B, OCA2, OCA3 um, and 4 and so on. Actually, not so on. That's, that's all of them. Right. <laughs> but the, the thing that all of these, or at least most of them share in common, is that there's either a total or complete lack of pigmentation and then again, it affects the eyes because it's that um, ocular cutaneous albinism. And so with this lack of p- pigmentation, that one uh, that's, that most people think of when they think of albinism, OCA1A, there's like no pigmentation whatsoever. And everybody with albinism has those, those pigment-forming cells, melanocytes. It's just the, for w- different reasons, those melanocytes are not producing pigments to varying degrees, and in OCA1A, they're not producing pigment at all. Right. So like you kind of said at the beginning, if you see someone that has the red or pinkish eyes, mm-hmm. it's those are the blood vessels that you're seeing because of the lack of pigment. Right. And that's what's also going to lead to those vision problems. Uh, like you kind of hinted at, it. You know, a lot more light is going to be entering your eye that's not being absorbed like it would if you have pigment in your eye. It's not being diffracted. Uh, at the very least, if you have albinism, you're probably going to be really sensitive to light. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also actually damage the retina as well. Right, which is a big one. Um, as we'll see, that's a, it's a huge problem. The, the idea that um, it's called photophobia, like deep sensitivity to light. Yeah. Um, and then also you you just can't see as well. Um, like you can, and that in turn can lead to problems with learning and high school drops. It's like a cascading effect that all just sure. begins with not enough pigment in the eye. It's really astounding what just something that seems kind of small has like the impacts that it has. Yeah, and you know the great thing about most school systems these days is they make great efforts for any kind of. Uh, kid in school that has any sort of a challenge to say like, all right, well, we have something to accommodate for that now. But it, you know, it's taken a long time to get to this point and we still have a long way to go. But, you know, you can't imagine somebody with albinism in the 19, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. and what schooling must have been like when it was basically just like, sorry, you know, you can't, you obviously can't keep up. Uh, you're struggling to learn to read and we don't quite know what to do with that. Right. And they and and they always punctuated with him. And by the way, everything your classmates are saying about you is true. Right. <laughs> no, hopefully yeah. the teachers were at least kind about it even back then. Maybe. But kids are always mean. Yeah, for sure. They're getting kids nicer are, though. Are they? That's great. Man, that's a huge improvement. Well, they are, but it's um I mean, obviously there's still bullying and a lot of problems with that stuff, but the kids are getting better because it's I think we've proven as parents and educators, that that can be taught, that you start them at a young age teaching about facial differences or just any kind mm-hmm. of differences and that, you know, mm-hmm. that we're all the same, uh, you know, it sounds very free to be you and me, but we're all the same on the inside. Right. And so that kind of like teaching that stuff actually works. That's why it's frustrating when people push back on that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't want my kid to be nice. 
You can't make my kid be nice. It's a First Amendment issue. Uh, that was just a little soapbox moment for me. I like it. I, I put one foot up on there with you, too. Oh, thank you. There's room. So, um, so there's room for you and me, Chuck. Yeah, Jerry's always up here. Of course. She won't stop. <laughs> it's a little much, if you ask me. So, Chuck, before we keep moving on, uh, because I think we need to talk about that social aspect of albinism now. Sure. Um, but but before we hit that, I want to say there's one other thing. that uh, One of the big differentiators about between the different types of albinism is, like we were saying, at what point in the process of creating melanin, the, the pigmentation, um, is disrupted means that you, you could actually produce some levels of pigment or some different types of pigment. Mm-hmm. Like we have a couple of types of pigment that we produce us humans. U melanin, that's the one that's the money melanin everybody thinks about. It's like it produces like the browns and everything like that. It gives you your tan. If you have brown or dark hair, that's all U melanin. But there's also pheomelanin, which is uh, kind of a red yellow um, pigment producer. And uh-huh. people can have types of albinism where you're producing. Uh, no, no eumelanin whatsoever, but plenty of yellow-red pheomelanin. Right. So that will adjust the, the the different kinds of skin pigments you have. And sometimes you'll see people with albinism who have like, you know, totally pale skin, but like a big shock of yellow-gold hair. They're right. producing t- plenty of pheomelanin, just no eumelanin. And those are the different, like the different gradations of of albinism have to do with how much and what type of melanin can escape out into the skin, into the eyes, and into the hair. Yeah, and uh, interestingly, birds and mammals are the only living things that have melanocytes, which are those cells that produce the melanin. Mm -hmm. So this is why you're not going to see a lot of bright-colored mammals. Like, you're not going to see a lot of bright green or blue mammals. Uh, And then when it comes to birds, but you're like, wait a minute, why are humans, you know, basically shades of sort of brown? Uh, and why can birds be like pink and orange and red? It's, it's for a lot of reasons. And we talked about some of these before, but uh, one of the reasons is is their diet. Right. Like in the case of the flamingo, a flamingo is white except uh, for their diet, which turns them red or pink. Yeah, they can, um, they can also produce certain kinds of chains of amino acids that produce blue or green. They can combine some of the pigments they produce with some structural stuff, like uh, in, in the way that their feathers are built to, to create entirely new colors. Um, there's a lot of stuff you can do, but that's typically birds. And the reason they think that birds are so colorful is because uh, the visual acuity in the bird world is a little more important even right. in, in the human world, as important as it is for us. But there's also another thing that, that um, melanin does is it can provide like structure and toughness. Um, like if you look at the outer layer of fur in mm-hmm. like a, a cold, um, like a cold dwelling animal, that's usually going to be fairly dark. Um, and one of the reasons why it's dark is because it's, it's also providing like structure and toughness to that, that outer layer of fur, not just, you know, um, preventing um, um, light to get through, UV to get through. Right, but then you start scritching underneath. You get to that little baby soft, lighter colored undercoat. Mm-hmm. Even with my dog, Charlie, who's got the longer hair, she's, you know, she has an outer coat and an undercoat, and that undercoat is different. It, it feels a little different, and it looks a little different. Yep. The exception to that, of course, is polar bears. 
they're not actually producing any kind of white pigment. So right. I think it's the structure of their um, their hairs, their clear hollow tubes. So yeah, yeah, they refract light so that all of the light comes back at you. Yeah, just Google green polar bear if you want to freak your kids out a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it sounds susical. It's <laughs> a green polar bear. Uh-huh. <laughs> so while we're on that though, we talk. You know, I want to talk a little bit about the um, sort of social implica- implications right. of having albinism and. You know, it's interesting that it's much more common in parts of Africa, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, Mm -hmm. but that's also where you can find some of the most uh, stigma in uh, people being ostracized, which is, I don't know, it's really kind of sad that it seems like something that is more common might be accepted a little bit more, but that's not really the case, is it? No, it's not. And unfortunately, the reason why is because people with albinism in Africa are in some parts of Africa, you, uh, we've learned over the years you can't just be like in Africa because it's just so ridiculously different culturally and geographically. Sure. But in some parts of Africa, I believe um, Nigeria, um, parts of Nigeria, if you're if you have alba- uh, albinism, you are extraordinarily valuable. I think a, a, the body of a person with albinism is worth about seventy five thousand U S dollars. Oh, really? In a, in places where people are living on like six dollars a day, is for like medical research? No, oh. no, oh no, no, no! I know what you're talking about for witchcraft and sorcery. Yeah, they're right. considered the the bone. They there's lore. There's so here's here's the problem. Um, not only are people with albinism subject to being ostracized and isolated because they're different and they look different. The people, people not just in Africa, but in other places where education is less prevalent and less standardized and science is less um, relied on, I guess, um, the, the, there's just a lot of myth and lore surrounding albinism. And so yeah. people think that it's like contagious. Right. So you just want to stay away from those people because you don't want to catch it. Um, and then all the way across the spectrum to their bones are made of gold dust. And if you get your hands on the cadaver of an, uh, a person with al- albinism, you can, you can create potions and sell them to people. And in the wholesale market, you, can, you would pay $75,000 for the, the corpse of a person with albinism. And it happens. Wow. Like people get murdered for their bodies because they're, they have albinism. And it's just, it's, it's a despicable practice and trade. But part of it is like, figuring out how to get across to like these large groups and populations the science behind all this and that at the very least it's not contagious and at best their their bones are not filled with gold dust so please stop chopping them up kind of thing yeah and as far as you know here in the united states uh if you know this is like we talked about you know kids teasing or staring mm-hmm. as as parents and educators you should be armed I think with the the barest bones of information, at least to be able to say, oh, well, you know, that is somebody with albinism and that means their body doesn't produce pigment. And so their skin looks different than ours does. Right. And if you're a parent, you can just leave it at that. And that's really all you have to do. Like if you want to listen to this episode and get into uh, melanocytes, knock yourself out. Sure. That's parenting plus. But at the very least, you, you should be able to describe it. And like I know when I was a kid, and this is not a knock on my parents. They were both smart people and teachers. But but just scared to death of people with albinism? No, no but they probably would not have known what to tell me. Sure. Uh, they probably would have said, oh, that's an albino. 
full stop. Steer clear of them that's contagious. No, I don't think that either. <laughs> but I, I just think we have a duty these days, like to educate ourselves to the to the lowest level of understanding other people, you know? Yeah, you know, that's something that I've carried with myself for many, many years is like people didn't explain the why to me. And so yeah. there didn't seem to be purpose to anything. I couldn't I couldn't I totally come agree. to appreciate the things that the reasons why we were doing things, the strategy to football. It was just get out there and make sure that person doesn't get past you kind of stuff. No reason <laughs> why. It does. And that's like a stupid example, yeah, but, yeah. It, but it's a good case of it that like nobody stopped and said, here's the grand picture. Here's the grand scheme of things. And the more information I would have had, the more I would have appreciated life and probably appreciated other people too. So I, I agree yeah. with you completely. I think that that is... That is a part and parcel with making the world a better place is, is providing more information um, to kids, especially. Yeah. And again, this is slightly tangential and soapboxy, but I think in our day and certainly before our day as kids, there was a lot of just like shut up and don't ask questions yes. sort of attitude. Yeah, that's a terrible thing to, to, to No, it's a all you should do is ask questions and yeah. get questions answered. My yeah. Lord, it's frustrating. And the whole like, uh, because I said so kind of thing, which is so prevalent when we were yeah. kids. I, as I understand, it's going the way of the dinosaur, which I think is great. It is. But boy, when you accidentally catch yourself saying it <laughs> as a parent, yeah. Yeah. you're just like, oh, no, I'll be right back. I'm going to go flog myself. Right. Oh, I'm sure there's plenty of parent groups just waiting to flog you outside your door, too. (laughs) Yeah, the because I said so crowd? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're like the guilty remnant, the leftovers. They just stand outside your house and smoke. (laughs) Which we're two episodes away from finishing, by the way. That happens tonight. That's great, man. Congratulations from from all of the Stuff You Should Know listeners on behalf. I I just have to say, and I knew this was a show that got progressively better and more bonkers, but... Uh Boy, what they're throwing down in season three, I am all over it. I don't believe I made it that far. What? Yeah, no. I thought, I, you, I thought you like said you wish you could go back and do it over again yeah, yeah. for the first time. I don't think I realized and that they, they kept going two. after season one. Yeah, yeah. There were three seasons. Okay, well, good. I got some stuff to watch. <laughs> I got to reframe everything now. I'll watch this on your uh, recommendation. <laughs> So, Chuck, I feel like we can button this up by saying society has a long way to go toward learning how to treat people with albinism equally. Agreed. Yeah. But let's do that. All right. Well, let's do that, and let's take a break, and we'll talk a little bit more about what limited amount we know about what causes this right after this. All right, so we're back. Uh, We know, and we've talked about this already, that it's a recessive gene that causes albinism. Mm -hmm. But it's it's like, all right, so that's a recessive gene. This is like when you nod off in biology class. Oh man, this is when I woke up. (laughs) You wake up and you go, oh okay. Well, I know the answer is a recessive gene, but. How does that happen? Uh, and the secret to it all is a little protein called uh, tyrosinase. Right. How would you pronounce it? Uh, just exactly like that, tyrosinase. Oh, okay. Those tyrosinase. <laughs> but that's how it's spelled, tyrosinase. But tyrosinase surely is the way that you'd say it, right? I think probably so. So that's the one. That's the one that is like the the catalyst for basically everything that comes after to create melanin, right? Whether it's eumelanin or pheomelanin, 
doesn't matter. Tyrosinase is, is like the beginning of it. And so in that OCA1A, the type of albinism where you just utterly lack pigmentation altogether, tyrosinase um, is, is impacted. So when your tyrosinase is impacted, your melanin production just doesn't happen in your melanocytes, and therefore you have OCA1A uh, albinism. That's right. Uh, and if that happens early on, uh, that whole chain reaction is going to shut down, mm -hmm. and that's when you're going to have the complete lack of pigmentation. In the other forms, it might affect it at different stages along the way mm -hmm. uh, of that melanin creation. So that's why you might, you know, not be totally absent of pigmentation. Yeah, and again, like there's different, slightly different processes that produce eumelanin and other processes that produce pheomelanin. So um, any any one of those things is a very like complex, intricate production. To, to create melanin. And so that means that there's a lot of different points where that, that process can break down. It, it's just, I just find that extremely fascinating. And then also one other thing I find fascinating, when you talked about um, autosomal recessive traits, mm -hmm. did you mention that that means that two parents can both have the gene for albinism, but neither one have albinism, but they're considered carriers? And so they can pass it along or not pass it along to their kids? Well, yeah, because, I mean, I, and I think this is something that you would often see is two parents without albinism have a child with albinism, and mm -hmm. someone might just be like, well, how does that work? Right. Well, it's just very easy. It's because you have to have both parents. And if, obviously, these parents didn't have both of their parents that had that genetic mutation, then they're not going to have it. But it's interesting. It's one of those things where you – Sort of like the sharks, sharks bumping in the night. Did you say um, sharks first? <laughs> I think I did say sharks. <laughs> that's a whole different problem if that's bumping in the night. <laughs> right. uh, sharks bumping in the night. It, it's like uh, you wouldn't know this. You probably wouldn't know this about yourself if you only had one. Uh, if you were just a carrier, you know what I mean? Right. So you you probably wouldn't find this out until you had a kid. Exactly. That was that's one reason why there's a lot of lore and myth around um, albinism in, in less educated areas. That like there's like a question of paternity. Like right. this can't possibly be my kid. Sure. Um, that kind of thing. But then on the same token too, as far as passing it along, uh, if you have albinism and you uh, fall in love and reproduce with a person who doesn't have albinism, but also isn't a carrier of albinism, your children won't have albinism. Right. Got to have both those parents. You got to have both those parents that have that pass along both those genes because you, again, you can have siblings that don't have albinism. Sure. Because like it, it, I think you have a twenty five percent chance of getting albinism or of of it being passed along to you. You have a fifty percent chance or seventy five percent chance of it not being passed along. But there's a different combination of what's not passed along. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What I also thought was interesting was um, when Ed uh, toward the end started talking a little bit about in the animal kingdom and, you know, the fact that it's for sure a disadvantage if you're living in the jungle and you're an animal mm -hmm. because coloration is a big part of uh, your camouflage and survival blending into your natural habitat mm -hmm. uh, as both a predator and a prey. So if you are, a you know, an alligator or a gorilla with albinism, you're definitely at a disadvantage in the wild. Um, I don't know that it's, you know, it's definitely in the wild because he said if you have like a bunch of lab rats just sort of doing their thing, then it's really not going to affect them much at all. But, you know, we talked a little bit in the Cave Dwellers episode 
about these organisms and I think reptiles that live deep in these caves that are essentially uh, have no pigment. And in there, it doesn't really matter. And in fact, some of the vision stuff might be an advantage. Yeah, like the fact that you don't have pigments like bouncing light and refracting it off, um, I guess basically keeping it from bouncing around means that you should be able to get more light, more visual information in very low levels of light. So that would be an advantage for sure. Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. It is interesting. So I guess before we go, Chuck, um, we should should talk about there's a lot of other... um, conditions that can happen uh, that have to do with pigmentation or melanin um, that really don't have anything to do with albinism, which really kind of goes to show you like just how complex melanin production actually is, you know? Yeah. And we talked recently, I don't know why, but we did mention vitiligo recently. Um, This is not the same thing as albinism. This is Mm -hmm. when you have those sort of very defined areas of your body that have no melanin. Uh, it is similar because it has to do with melanin, but not albinism. No, they think that um, there's either some sort of uh, really bad sunburn, uh, a mechanical insult, like something happened to your melanocytes, uh, you know, mechanically, uh, or you might have uh, had like some sort of chemical reaction and that this, whatever trauma happens to the melanocytes, it triggers your immune system to target them as foreign invaders. So they think now that vitiligo is some sort of autoimmune disorder. That's right. Uh, what else is there? There's poliosis, which I looked and no, it does not have anything to do with polio. Right. They should... They mistitled this one, I think. They they really did, because it has nothing to do with it. But that's the one where someone will have, like, just a shock, like a little patch of white hair, just totally pigment-free hair. Yeah, I know a couple of people that have that. The little, uh, like, the white schwa. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Like, um, remember John Henson from Talk Soup? uh, Yeah, he had the white schwa. Great example of a person living with poliosis. That's right. Uh, Emily calls any kind of hair thing like that a schwa. I don't know why. No, it makes sense. I've heard it before, but I don't know what it means. I think it means exactly what it means, right? I don't. I think she just means what, like, if I poof my hair up in a with a big like, like a pompadour, she would call that a schwa. Okay. Okay, I gotcha. It's very. I think no one outside my household really understands what it means. It's a tuft of hair. Yeah, <laughs> it's a tuft. Okay. Okay, I don't think I realized that's what poliosis was. Yeah, that's that's what it is. What did you All think right. it was? You thought it had to do with polio, didn't you? <laughs> I totally did, actually. I did, too, until I confirmed, nope, just terribly named. Uh, there's also Wardenburg syndrome. Uh, this is an abnormality with the pigment in the hair and skin and eyes. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is a congenital disease, also not have anything to do with albinism. Right. Um I think that's about it, huh? There's piebaldism, you know, the kind of piebald horses where there's a big um, white patch, usually a, a, a like a large one, yeah. sometimes on the chest. Beautiful. It's mm-hmm. a type of horse. It's actually a uh, condition um, that you, that humans can have as well. It's just that they, they bred a certain type of horse. They selected it in a certain type of horse called the piebald horse. Uh, you know, I have a tuxedo cat. I was, I'm kind of curious about... How that happens. I'm going to look into that. That's classy. Yeah, classy tuxedo cat. <laughs> that's right. Uh, well, that's it for albinism, huh? 
That's it. If you want to learn more about albinism, you should go out and do that. There's a lot to learn. Um, and you could do worse than starting at um, Frontiers for Kids on their uh, albinism article because it's a pretty good one. And then That's just right. go from there. Uh, and since I said just go from there, it's time for Listener Mail. Yeah, this is short and sweet. Uh, we got called out on something, and whenever we get something wrong, we certainly like to, uh, and, and not just a correction on a fact or something. But when we get something wrong that we shouldn't have gotten wrong, then we like to call attention to it, and we try and do better. Totally. Uh, this is from Natalie from California. I uh, wanted to start out by saying I'm a big fan of the show. Found it during lockdown and made a big difference for my boredom levels, uh, levels while working from home. But I was a bit disappointed, guys, listening to the Chow Chilla bus kidnapping as multiple times uh, you guys implied that not being able to spell means that you're not smart. Uh, and you are totally right, Natalie. I didn't even think about that. But uh, Natalie says, I'm an adult with dyslexia and I cannot spell to save my life. Uh, in spite of this, I'm a highly intelligent and successful adult. Uh, and it's uh, fairly ableist to correlate ability to spell with overall intelligence. And I expect more. And Natalie, you are totally right. And that is on us. And uh, big apologies. We uh, did not think that one through. No, indeed. We, we definitely weren't trying to throw any shade on people with dyslexia at all. Of course not. But, you know, it's another thing. Like, we all learn as we go through life. And uh, when you learn on the air, it can be a little embarrassing sometimes. <laughs> yeah, just a tad. But that's what we do as a job. And so we, we take that. Yeah. So was that from Natalie? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for that one, Natalie. We appreciate it. And uh, if you have something you want to call us out on, we'll uh, we'll take it. And uh, you can address it to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.